guys hear me? Okay, I'm gonna set the timer. Not that I think I can talk for 45 minutes, but. Good evening, everyone. My name is Katie. I'm an alcoholic. Hey. How are you guys on this fine Friday? Um, thank you, Les, for reaching out and asking me to lead. Um, I'm humbled to be standing here in front of you guys tonight. I've got 14 and a half years of sobriety. Um, God and sobriety are my greatest gift. I stand before you as a sober woman. My children have never seen me drink. Um, it truly is my greatest blessing to be here as a sober woman on a Friday night. Um, Alex, you talked about contrary action, and when you texted me last, I have never said no to an AA commitment, and my little head got in there and was like, oh, it's Friday night, and I have a weekend full, I think there's 11 baseball, softball, and soccer games between tomorrow morning and Monday. There are 33 other things I could be doing right now, but this is the most important, showing up for you guys, telling my truth, staying humble in who I am, and protecting my sobriety. So, um, thank you, Les. I love you. You've been a part of my journey for many years, and I'm super grateful that we have stayed in touch. Um, so I've been sober 14 and a half years, and I'm going to tell you just a little bit about my, my story. And mine starts out a little bit different. Alcoholism has been a part of my life since I was born. Um, I was raised in Iowa with a mom, dad, and I was an only child for six years. Of those six years, um, I want to say like four of them were pretty rough. I had drunk parents, alcoholic parents, who um, were extremely, what I would say is unpredictable. And when I say that, I mean my dad was the fun guy that, you know, in Iowa you had snowstorms. So he and his neighbor buddies, um, David, Lynn, and Alan Lundquist would come over and we had a sauna in our basement and they would go rolling around in the snow and then they'd go in the sauna and then they'd go roll in the snow and then my mom would take pictures and we'd frame them and we'd put them on the wall for artwork. So it was like that unpredictability, but he was fun and everybody wanted to be around him. My dad is a light, he attracts people even to this day. My mom was the very smart, valedictorian, prim and proper, great grammar, um, could fool you and tell you exactly what you wanted to hear, but she was the person behind closed doors who would get drunk and pee your pants and light the chair on fire and fall asleep in the middle of like an important dinner. So I had the two extremes, right? So I'm this only child living in Iowa. And I knew from a very young age that I was different. I felt different. Um, I had trouble really connecting to people, but I could relate to you. I could become who you needed me to be and I could save, fix, control, manipulate, whatever you needed me to do, I could do it. And I did it very effortlessly with like grace and dignity as contradictory as that sounds. Um, <clears throat> I struggled when my mom found out she was pregnant with my sister. Um, we thought she had cancer. We thought she had a tumor in the stomach and she came home. It was a S September day in Iowa, um, standing on our deck. And she said, I have something to tell you. You're going to be a big sister. You're going to have a sister in five weeks. So five weeks later, this miracle baby comes into my life and her name is Allie. Um, she's six years younger than I am. And my entire world was flipped upside down. I went from being their everything to what I perceived or felt as nothing. This baby became everything. So not only did I feel as a young child that I was different and I just wasn't normal, now I don't matter, okay? So I went through life um, looking back, kind of resenting this baby, but then I would take on this baby as like a task. Oh, if I change her diaper and I feed her and I show up for her, my parents are gonna love me more and I'm gonna be accepted and I'm gonna be wanted. Well, that never really happened. And I just kept doing and doing and doing and doing and doing and never really getting any kind of recognition. Um, 
or affirmations from my parents, you know, obviously now knowing what I know, they could not meet my emotional needs. Two alcoholic parents raising children couldn't give me what I needed, right? So when um, I was, gosh, 19, 18, 19, I left Iowa for a, like a couple weeks in the summer. My girlfriend's sister worked at Blizzard Beach in Florida. And my friend Kelly Roberson said, why don't you go down and let's go see my sister Paige. Uh, my mom's gonna fly us down. Paige will pick us up at the airport. We'll have a blast. We'll get to go to all the theme parks for free and live it up. And I'm like, great. So we go down to Florida. And the first night I got there, all of these lifeguards for Blizzard Beach were partying. And I had never had a sip of alcohol because I was gonna be the child that never drank. I was never gonna pick up a cigarette. Um, why would I ever wanna become like my mother or my father? And they made Jello shots that night, and um, I loved cherry Jello. I no longer like cherry Jello, but um, they made Jello shots, and I don't know how many I had, but I can tell you that when I woke up the next morning, the ends of my hair were the color of cherry Jello, and I woke up and I looked and felt like absolute shit, and there was a stain on this carpet, and I was mortified. I had all of these um, lifeguards who were probably I don't know 19 to 25 staring at me, like, look what you did. And there again, there's that validation of, I'm not good enough, I'm not normal, I couldn't even drink like these people, but I had no recognition, I just thought that the jello was bad. So I go back to Iowa, I continue living my life, I'm stone cold sober, didn't drink in high school, um, in fact, I was like the designated driver, I was very responsible, I'm like your typical Al-Anon alcoholic, right? And um, it wasn't until I turned 20, almost 20 and a half, um, I decided that I wanted to move to Florida to go to college. And when I lived in my apartment, I had roommates. I had one from Key West. I had one from upstate New York. I had one from Chicago. And then I was from Des Moines, Iowa. We all moved in together. Nobody knew each other and nobody had really partied. So we decided that we were going to go out. And um, one of the ladies that was at the bar, we were at the ale house. She ordered a skinny bitch. And I said, well, what is that? So that's a diet Coke and vodka. And I'm like, great. Looking at that now, my mother would drink Diet Coke or take a shot of vodka and chase it with Diet Coke. But I thought, oh, I'm gonna mix them together so I'm not gonna be like my mom. Well, Skinny Bitch became my best friend. And um, I don't really have a great drunkalog. I drank from when I was 20 to 26. I drank Skinny Bitches pretty much every time I went out. Um, although I did work for Gallo Wine. I don't think any of you know this, but I did work for Gallo Wine. That was my first job out of, um, out of college and I had to obviously drink wine. I mean, when you work for a wine company, you've got to drink wine, that's a big deal. And we would travel up to Napa and Sonoma and uh, definitely looking back, I mean, I could control my alcoholism to a certain extent because I was getting paid, right? I didn't want to get fired. And um, I knew that the minute that first sip of whatever I was drinking hit my tongue, I would instantly think that sip is not enough and a hundred's gonna be too many. How do I control and find that balance? And that was the struggle that I had for the six years of my drinking career is how can I go out tonight and just have one or just have two or just have enough to where I don't get drunk or to where I don't throw up. And looking back now, it's, it was one of those things that was it, the, um, the emotional and mental part of me trying to control my drinking was exhausting. And then I would end up failing myself and I would leave myself disappointed. And then I would say, I'm never going to do that again. And then I'd wait, you know, two, three weeks because I wasn't an everyday drinker. I was the fun Katie who loved to go to the bar. And I'd be like, this time it's going to be different. I'm going to do it differently. And I would have every intention to do it differently. And then 
the same shit would happen and I would be addicted to that set of feelings that would leave me disappointed. So um, let me take you back to 2006, living in San Dimas. I'm 23 years old. I was dating or engaged to a man who would have been, what, 29. Um, and we drank together socially and he would make comments like under his breath, like, oh, you're really unpredictable or what kind of Katie's gonna come out tonight? And I'd be like, oh my gosh, I got this. We're gonna be fine, it's gonna be fine. And I, I remember looking at him and he would kind of like watch me from the corner of his eye because I was so fun. I was the girl that was on the table and then I'd have you guys all on the table and then someone would take their clothes off and then you'd take your clothes off and everybody just loved fun Katie because she never caused trouble. She never, looking, I guess that is kind of troublish, but I never got in trouble. Like it was just fun and it was accepted <laughs> if you kind of know what I'm saying. You have to really understand that. Um, but my husband was always very discontent or uncomfortable when I would pull out that, that trick. And um, he had, when I was 23, he had deviated septum surgery in his nose and um, had it on a Thursday. And on that Saturday night, my sister came to town with a couple girlfriends. And he said, you know, I'm gonna stay in and get some rest. And I'm like, great, I was very responsible. I called us a cab. We went to the San Dimas bowling alley because that's where I would like to frequent. They had uh, skinny bitches and they had karaoke. So we would go to the San Dimas bowling alley. And that night, my cab driver that would pick us up didn't show up. And so, uh, lo and behold, I would never get behind the wheel because I'm responsible. My sister sees a friend from um, the college that she went to out here and he offered to give us a ride home, sober. And so he takes us home and he has a raised uh, Jeep Wrangler and it was pretty noisy. I don't know if it had like some kind of exhaust on it, but he pulled in the driveway and it's, you know, he's like revving the engine or it's just making these loud noises. And I was pretty drunk, but I remember walking in and my husband waking up from this deviated septum surgery, you know, he's out what 24 or 36 hours and he looked at me like I'll never forget the way he looked at me it was with utter disgust and he slammed the bedroom door and was like I'll see you in the morning and I'm pretty good at talking my way out of things and that night I couldn't talk my way out of it I ended up falling asleep um, so the door is here I put my legs up against the door so my butt was at the base of the door and I kicked the door and I was convinced that I was going to kick the door till he let me in well I passed out and that's where I woke up. And I know that that's not like a ditch or in jail, but it was really gross that next morning. I woke up in this little hallway with my legs on top of a door and mascara was all over. And um, that was the first time I really, really felt shame and guilt around my drinking. Not only was I disappointed in myself and the behavior and the wreckage that I had caused, I was disgusted with how I had disrespected my husband who um, had, actually, he wasn't even my husband. Yes, he was my husband. Um, how I disrespected him after he was recovering from this surgery. And so I remember that day very, very well. Um, I had been in Al-Anon for six years. I had an Al-Anon sponsor. Her name is Diana. She is also an AA. Many of you probably know her. Um, and Mike came out of the bedroom maybe around like 11 o'clock that day. And he said to me, um, I don't, I'm not going to fight with you but I want a divorce. We had been married three months to that day. And I was like, oh, a divorce, okay. And I played it off, because you know I'm gonna put up a wall, you'll never see how I really feel. God forbid I'm vulnerable with you. And um, I remember calling Diana and I said, I need to go to an AA meeting with you. And she said, great, there's the Pitzer meeting tonight at seven o'clock. It was a Sunday night. 
And she said, I'll pick you up. I said, perfect. So we go to the Pitzer meeting together. And this is one of my favorite aha moments of my sobriety story. We walk in, there are hundreds of people if you've ever been to the Pitzer meeting. I did not know anyone. And as the person from the podium stood up and said, are there any newcomers in their first 30 days of their meetings who would like to introduce themselves? Please stand up and, and say your name. And I'm looking around and my sponsor looks at me and she's like, stand up. And I'm like, she took my arm and like pulled me out of my seat and said, stand up and introduce yourself. And I said, hi, my name is Kate. I could not tell you that I was Katie and I was an alcoholic. I said, my name is Kate and I'm an alcoholic. And everybody clapped and they gave me a welcome chip and the speaker was profound that night. Um, her story was incredible and she really touched my heart. But I had no intention of getting sober. I went to that meeting to save my marriage. I woke up that next Monday on November 5th, a sober woman. And I have remained sober every single day since that day. And I share that with you because I am one of the lucky ones who just poof, got sobriety and I have never really had any difficulty with it. With that being said, when I tell you that it's my greatest gift, it is because my mother died from this disease. My mother continued her drinking career um, well through my years at UCF when I moved to Florida, so much so that her varices in her throat popped. Um, she had jaundice, she had elephantitis, she had a liver transplant, then she was sober for nine years. And then one of my cousins um, got diagnosed with, with cancer of the lung and it was terminal. And that was like a daughter to my mom. And that just sent my mom into a tailspin and my mom relapsed. And that was back in 2015. And she died February of 2016. And we never did an autopsy report, but I found two little airplane bottles of vodka. And I stand here before you because I watched her do everything, a transplant, go to AA meetings, get a sponsor. She went to Hazleton in Minnesota. She did all the things that we do and she could not get the gift of sobriety. And so it's important for me as a sober woman to give back. Um, my favorite meetings before COVID were the, the women's meetings at the Harvard and Harrison um, Church in Claremont, where a lot of the women would come out of prison and they had discovered AA and God in, in prison. And they would come out and they, they not looked out a window. They didn't know how to turn a cell phone on. They didn't know how to acclimate to life. And so I would go and I would sit with these women and have coffee and just listen to their stories and help them learn how to use a cell phone or talk about how they should approach their child now that they're out of the penitentiary. Um, they'd ask me for rides on the bus. I mean, these are like some of the women were scary. They, they'd murdered people. And I'd see them at Target on a rainy night and they'd ask me for a ride home. And I was scared to death, but you know what? I'm a sober woman of integrity and I would ask God, like God guide me, help me give this person exactly what they need. Allow you to speak through me so I can touch their heart. And I miss that meeting. I miss that meeting a lot. It taught me a lot about my life and it taught me a lot of you know, humility and it humbled me every single day that I attended that meeting. And in my recovery, um, you know, I spend a lot of time um, reading and really trying to understand why do we do what we do. And I think tonight, when I think back about my, my drinking and how it played a role in, in my life, I, 
think back to that child who felt that she was never a part of. She was unwanted. She was alone. Um, she wasn't normal. She didn't know how to fit in. She didn't know how to connect, but she could force her way in or she could manipulate it. So it looked authentic, but it never felt right in my soul. And when I discovered alcohol, it was as if alcohol gave me that false sense of identity because it was like, oh my God, I can breathe. I can fucking get on top of a table or I can walk up to the guy that I thought was cute because I felt like I had it all. And it wasn't until I started, you know, really getting into the steps and the recovery and understanding why do we do what we do and why is the addiction, I mean, I know that the addiction runs, I'm a very extreme person. Um, with everything I do to this day. If I buy one laundry detergent on sale, I buy 12. If I go to the gym, I go every day for two hours. Um, if I'm in a binge, I'm in a binge on food. Like that's just how I am. But I really want to be in touch with why am, why am I doing it? What, what is it inside of me? What am I feeling? And so I've really studied a lot about, you know, tapped into my feelings and gone back into drunk Katie versus sober Katie and when I look at why did I have to drink? Well, what was that? I didn't know what I was feeling. I just knew that I felt uncomfortable, unwanted, unloved, and alone. I just felt different. And I remember the sensations like, you know, when you walk into a bar before you have that first sip or, or into a party where you're not wanted or you don't feel that you're a part of or you're not pretty enough or you're not this. And it's that feeling inside of you, right? It's... I don't know how I'm going to do this, so I'm going to drink to be able to get through it. And then I'd have that first sip, and it was like, oh, God, that's not enough. I got it. Where's the next one coming from, right? Um, it just wasn't enough. And now that I'm sober, I can tap into my feelings, and I can feel, oh, I'm sad. And I feel the sadness. And I want to understand, okay, well, what's making me sad? And just stay in the feeling and not the thought that follows the feeling. And so the more that I step in and really connect with my body and don't let my mind, like Alexandra said, you know, our mind will tell us, oh, we don't belong here or we don't need to go to AA or, oh, maybe I can be different now. You know, I have a lot of people that will say to me, oh, maybe I can go out and be dif different now that I've been sober 20 years. Like that's, that's the mind that's those thoughts that make us crazy, right? And then if you listen to those thoughts, you go back to drink and where are we? We're far up, far worse than we were when we quit drinking in the beginning. So I'm really mindful now of what's causing me to feel different or sad or frustrated or whatever the feeling is, even happy. What's causing me that and how can I just sit and, and let the discomfort, it's typically the negative feelings that I have to sit with and not react to the thoughts that are following the feeling. How can I sit in my discomfort rather than go find a quick fix, alcohol or food or whatever your quick fix is? Whereas in the past, it was like the minute I feel something, I would, I would have to go drink or I would stuff my feelings because I didn't want to deal with them. And then I'd wait until I did go out and drink. And then I would feel even more shame and more guilt and more disappointment the next day because I had repressed all of what I felt and let the alcohol take over. So the alcohol became, it was a, you know, like I said, it was kind of like a false identity, but it was a crutch that allowed me to be who I thought I wanted to be. 
And sometimes that was freeing until I took it too far. And so I, I really think about the person that I was when I drank and what I loved about that person minus the alcohol and how can I stand before you today as a sober woman and stand in my freedom and my power and be that person that I've always wanted to be. And I'm finally figuring it out, you guys. Like, I am good enough. My self-worth and my character assets, and I still have character defects, but all of who I've ever wanted to be was within. I just had to figure out and I had to go through that murky water to stand before you today to tell you that I was always good enough. It was my sick thoughts and my alcoholism that tried to derail me. And so as I... As I'm parenting my children and, you know, in a marriage, because people don't talk about, well, people don't tell you, you know, oh, when you get sober, you're still going to have, you know, trouble raising kids or you're going to have marriage. Like, marriage is fucking hard. Anybody with me? And I'm married to a pretty good guy and I'm raising a 13-year-old who is hitting puberty and his emotions and, and I'm struggling. He's struggling. And I was just telling someone here tonight, I'm like, I can't imagine not being present and sober and dealing with that because it's hard, it's challenging, it's tough. But I put my nose to the grind and I'm like, okay, God, guide me, show me who I'm supposed to be to show up in my marriage, to show up to my son, to show up to my daughter, to be there for my friends, to show up as a realtor, to show up as a life coach, to show up, to show up, to show up, to show up here for you tonight. God, show me who I'm supposed to be. Disclose that to me with grace and dignity and confidence. Check my ego at the door. Like, allow me to just stand in my power and tell you my truth. Because alcoholism has taken so much from me. My dad still drinks actively every day. It's not near as bad as it was because, remember I told you, he's unpredictable and he's fun. He would wear in Iowa, he would go in our garage and he'd wear one of those caps that when you go skiing, you know, it's like would be neon green with like the black fur. He'd get all bundled up and he'd go sit in the garage and he would smoke cigarettes or cigars and he would drink whiskey and bourbon and then he'd get really mean. And then sometimes he'd drink beer and he'd be doing super dickheads off the pool, off the diving board at the pool. Um, so it was like alcoholism has taken so much from me. It took my whole childhood. I had to figure it out, lie, cheat, manipulate, steal to get what I needed to survive. And I will be damned if it's gonna take who I'm supposed to be. I am so unbelievably grateful to AA and to Diana. She doesn't sponsor me anymore, but I will never forget when she took that right arm and said, stand up and introduce yourself because I don't know where I'd be had she not done that. And even though my truth was I was Kate, I was an alcoholic because I was ashamed and I felt like I didn't belong. And I couldn't tell you because my ego was too big. I had this great wall of China and this wall and the bricks that I had stacked because if you really knew who I was, what would you think? But now it doesn't matter what you think because all that matters is what I think. And today I can tell you that like I stand before you with friends and a new friend, I have a, another new friend, I have an old friend, I have an old friend, I have my kids' friends. Like, I am so blessed with people that show up for me every single day. And in return, I get to show up for them. 
I get to be of service. I get to hold commitments. I, I don't love to sponsor, and that's hard for me to say because sponsors, I think, are the glue to this program. I don't love it. So when people call me and are like, oh my gosh, can you sponsor me? I'm like, I will guide you until you find the perfect sponsor. And that's hard for me to tell you my truth, but that is my truth. I will never let anyone fail, but I will help you find a sponsor. I will pick up these cigarette butts that people smoke at the Triangle Club. Like nothing is too great for me today. And growing up, you know, I, I feel like Al-Anon gave me some wings but I was still in the nest. Like I would flap my wings. I lived in the nest. I had people that showed up as mothers and grandmothers. They were the ones that threw me my bridal shower and came to my wedding. And then I got pregnant and they showed up because my mom was too busy drinking. And so Al-Anon gave me the, the foundation of who I am today. And then at 26, when I decided to get sober, AA has given me my life. I'm only 14 and a half living in a 41-year-old's body, raising two kids that's married in a crazy world with crazy things happening. And what I've realized, like it talks about in the big book, we can't control people, places, and things. We can control, and I tell my children, I'm like, imagine that you have a hula hoop around you. We can control what's in our hula hoop, kids. That's it. That's all we have control over. That is it. And so as I am aware... I raise my awareness every day. I want to vibrate at the highest possible level and calibrate so high and attract that same energy to my life so we can become better. We can become the light in this dark world. That is what's saving me. I don't need to go out and try to fix the politics and all of the shit that's happening. I can only control what I do in my hula hoop. I can have ideas, I can share them but I can't get fixated on trying to control and change and manipulate because that's who I was. It makes me crazy. And so as I, as I raise my awareness and I realize what's happening you know, in this world with people that are still alcoholics, with my family, you know, it's I'm, I'm aware, but today I set boundaries. I have consequences and then I follow through. I have a backup plan. I take care of myself. I no longer rely on you to give me what I think I need or what I thought I needed for me to feel better. I am solely responsible for myself. So when my dad showed up last, uh, was it last weekend or the weekend before, um, he, has, he lived out, my mom and dad actually moved out here when my son was born, so 13 years ago. Um, and then my mom died here in California. My dad stayed here all of this time by himself and then he decided in November to move back to Iowa with my sister and he built a house. So the first time he came back was two weekends ago and he called, he has a little girlfriend cause you know, he does that dating online stuff and he doesn't really know what he's doing on computers. And so his, his little um, location was in Simi Valley even though he was living in Upland. So he was making a big commute to go see this young lady and they're doing the distance right now. And he came out to see her and he said, you know, hell, maybe we, my dad's really funny. He's all, hell, maybe we can get together for dinner. Shit, would you like that? And I'm like, yeah, I would. I would like to see you for dinner. But the old me would have been resentful and frustrated that he didn't show up to California to rescue me, to come and stay with me, to take care of me. How dare you go see your girlfriend when you have a daughter here? Because that's how I used to live. And so when he showed up for dinner with this young lady, I treated her with the utmost respect, even though it was hard. 
She's not my mom. It's weird to see him with someone else. And he ordered his two bourbons or scotch or whatever he had. And I didn't get to look at the price and see what he was drinking and watch, you know, pour water in it. All the shit that I did growing up to try to get him to stop drinking. I just sat there and I'm like, wow, I'm so grateful that he's not staying with me. I mean, you guys, that is growth because in the past I would have, I would have manipulated and controlled him and forced him to stay with me. And then I would have been so resentful and angry. And then I would have been an asshole and then he would have left and we would have been fighting and it's just dysfunction at its finest. And so after dinner, I said, what are you doing tomorrow, dad? Gianna's got a soccer game in Irvine. Would you like to come out? And he kind of thought about it and he's like, well, shit, you know, I suppose, yeah, I suppose we can come out there. I had zero expectations for him to show up, but he did. And he got to see his granddaughter play a great game. And then the next night he said, can I borrow your forerunner? I need a car. And I said, absolutely. Why don't you come to the house? We'll get some pizza and we'll hang out for a little bit. And I invited the girlfriend into my home because that's what I was taught in these rooms. We treat people with grace and dignity and kindness, whether they deserve it or not. And she's a wonderful woman. And so I went one more time to meet my dad in Pasadena and you know, I had to laugh because Green Street Cafe, if none of you have ever been there, it's my favorite restaurant in Pasadena. I love the Diane salad, <laughs> love it. And uh, my dad says, hell, what's good on the menu? And I said, I really think you'd like the Karen's Club, dad. Well, his girlfriend ordered the Diane salad because she liked what I ordered. Well, then my dad ordered the salad. And I said, Dad, I'm 41 years old. I have never seen you eat a salad. Yeah, I don't really like them. Well, why did you order it? So he orders the Diane salad. Oh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Because the girlfriend got it. So he's got to do what the girlfriend likes, right? So he gets the Diane salad. And uh, he takes a couple bites. And my son, Pietro, says, Bubba, what do you think? And he's like, ah, oh, I mean, shit, it's all right. It's all right. And I'm like, but remember we told you that you didn't like salad. Well, shit, you know, sometimes, yeah. And it's just, I had to laugh because in the past I would have needed to fix it. I would have needed to go order in the Karen's Club and make, make a scene and cause a ruckus because that's how I got attention and that's who I was. And I'm just, it was like watching my family from above because I didn't join that three ring circus. I'm just accepting those people for who they are. And when my dad left, you know, he's 71 and I can tell he's slowing down, but my dad showed up for me when I had Pietro, they moved their entire life to California. And I may not have agreed with how he spent his evenings with alcohol, but he was the best grandpa that I could have ever asked for. And now he gets to go home and do it for my sister and my little nieces. And without these rooms and the sponsorship and working the steps, I would have never been able to look at that as a gift because I would have only focused on the bad, that he is still drinking. And so as, as I reflect, you know, today I was thinking, I'm like, I am lucky that I had him here for those 13 years because I got to experience him through my children's eyes and watch him do for them and my mom. My mom was amazing with my daughter. They took care of my children in a way that they did not know how to take care of me. And they showed up for my kids. And my daughter's 10, my mom died when Gianna was four. And my daughter will still say things like, oh, I just wish Mima were here to paint my nails. Or if we could have pretzels and watch Sophia the first. 
And my four-year-old remembers that. And had I not taken a chance on this alcoholic woman to babysit my daughter, my daughter wouldn't have those memories. But people in AA said, just start with an hour. Let them just try an hour. Go hang out at the restaurant around the corner. And if something happens, they'll call you. And that hour turned into three hours. And then it was three hours, two times a week. And then it was five hours, three times a week. And then before, it was like, my kids wanted to go there every Friday night and spend the night. And so I am lucky. Even though my parents could not meet my needs, this program and my sobriety has given me a new outlook on life and given me new perception. It's like a fresh set of eyes on how I can perceive others in this world. And that to me is a gift. So even though I haven't been to jail yet, and what was the YET, what's that stand for? Yeah, that's great. Because I haven't had really any yets. But I've seen so many people who have. I've seen a drunk mother fall and hit her eye and go into a coma, small brain bleed and die. That's my experience with alcoholism. That could be me. And so it's very important to me, to my heart, to my soul, that I stay connected to all of you people, every single one of you. Even though our stories are all different, they're the same. We have those, those no legs. We can't grow normal legs. And when we stand here together as a united group and we tell the truth and we clear the wreckage of our past and we share the truth because really the truth is good enough. It frees us from all of that, those sick thoughts that follow that feeling that leave us disappointed. And you get to stand up here or sit there and you're free. And I know some days are harder and I know some of us struggle. I mean, I struggle with food, guys. I get it. Like I can't, the, the, the mental part of addiction is exhausting. And so people who struggle on a daily with alcohol and drugs, I have never had a bigger prayer for God to answer for all of the people that struggle on a daily basis with this. It breaks my heart. But I promise that if you keep, keep doing what you're told to be doing and keep showing up and put everything you have into this, where it talks about in the reading where if you have the willingness to show up here and put in the work, this program will not fail you. And the people here will give back what they have to give. And it's all about the experience, strength, and hope that we rely on so we can stay connected into this inner circle. And the more we think we can step out of it, Alex, like you talked about, the closer we need to get to our recovery. Because the longer I feel, even though I have no urge to drink, the, the more sobriety I get, the stronger my mental part of my brain is like, oh, you may not need, oh, you may not need, no, I do. I probably need it now more than ever. Raising kids in this world is, is tough, and this is my sanity. So for those of you that might be new or struggling, um, I would love to pray for you if you want to connect after this, whatever I can do to help you on your journey, because those people that showed up for me at that Pitzer meeting and they're on until today... Those are who've saved my life. You guys have raised me. You've shown up for me. And I am forever grateful to Bill and Lois for giving me this life. And the friendships that I've developed through, through AA, 
They're unlike anything else. They're real, they're authentic. There's no surface. It's this is my truth and you still love me through it. That's pretty amazing. But guess what? I get to love you through it too. So I don't know how much time. Okay, we're at 38 minutes. Um, I don't feel like there's a whole lot more, but um, I will tell you that in, um, you know, in my AA recovery, in working the steps and, you know, showing up to different meetings, it was told to me in Al-Anon, but I applied it to AA as well. You know, go to different meetings, meet up with different people, see what, what's out there. And I used to attend a um, meeting in Newport Beach. I was at like a boathouse. Did you ever go there, Amber, with Diana? And I stepped out of my San Gabriel area to go down and connect with, and I absolutely loved what I experienced. Then I go to Iowa to see my sister, and I step into AA there. And I went to Europe, and I stepped into AA there. And I step into AA wherever I can. And what I love is that we are all the same. We have different stories, but we're all the same. The common denominator is we are here to stay sober. And this program will work if you allow it to work for you. And so I think that's, I just want to close with thank you, God, for allowing me to stand up here before you. I really am humbled, and I want to pray for all of you. Um, Les, I love you, my creator of the universe. I met Les in Al-Anon, gosh, 13 years ago. And um, I was instantly drawn to him because we have a lot of the same mindsets and we've stayed connected over the years and who would have thought I was I don't know 30 barely 30 hanging out with you you had your white Mercedes and now I'm driving a white Mercedes and every time I get in it I think of you but that program gave me the friendship of you nowhere else would I be hanging out with this guy so stick around you guys it's pretty pretty remarkable thank you very much I'm less alcoholic. Why don't we give Alexandra and Katie a hand for a good meeting? And uh, Carlo, you're the greatest. Food. Well, everybody that brought food, we really appreciate it. Fernando, uh, <clears throat> if you're interested in, in getting involved with this meeting, we have we need some help. You know, cleaning up after the meeting, and we need a. We're looking for a literature person, so if you want to come up and volunteer afterwards, that'd be great. And uh, uh, we want to thank everybody for bringing that food. Food that food is good. Thank you so much. Let's give everybody a hand. I'm your great. I'm your grapevine guy. Meeting in a print. Two years. 54 bucks one year 28.97 you can donate it to a recovery house or give it to a friend you know and what we do here is uh, <clears throat> I give out <clears throat> a couple and you can read it and then bring it back and we'll, we'll redistribute the stuff so I got one up here I want to give out 
It is about the, si the, the sounds of silence. Right? There's nothing like, I have to put myself in time out because sometimes this thing wants to take me on a vacation I don't need to go on, you know? <laughs> but anyway, I got this one here, Sound of Silence, really good. Someone want to come up and get it? Come on up and get it, come on, come on. <clears throat> All right. You got it, thank you so much. Okay, now here's a good one. Hey, is there anybody out here that doesn't have a sponsor? Raise your hand. Okay, there's one right there. There's two. We got any more? Come on. You don't have a sponsor? Raise your hand. Okay, we got two. Is there anybody out here willing to be a sponsor? Raise your hand. Okay, you, you see all the guys and all the women? So you, you can go talk to somebody. Get somebody temporarily, because it's really important, you know. And I got this great find here. Uh, sponsorship. It's got a lot of different stories about sponsorship. Somebody want it? Come on up and get it. up we show up <laughs> AA will catch us that's for sure here's a lady on a trapeze trapeze tramp yeah, okay <laughs> come on someone come up and get the last one I'll tell you what come on David thanks Les come here wait a minute come on Okay. Thank you. Yeah. My name's David. I'm an alcoholic. These are the promises. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom, a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? I think, I think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Now, after a moment of silence for the alcoholic who still suffers, will you please join me in the Lord's Prayer? Um, wait. For the alcoholic who still suffers in and out of these rooms and innocent children caught in the crossfire, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Whose Father? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we 
we read of those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen.